welcome to the Escape Artist podcast. I'm Marisha Pink, fiction author and creative entrepreneur, and this is episode one. Before I introduce today's guest, I thought that it would be a good idea to explain just what Escape Artist is all about. If you're familiar with me and my work, then you'll of course already know that in 2012, I quit my marketing job, I packed my bags and I headed off to Southeast Asia for a few months to work on the first draft of my debut novel, Finding Aaron. And when I returned to the UK in 2013, instead of crawling back to the rat race, I ran a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter to raise some money and I used that money to self-publish my book in September. Now, for me, it has been the most incredible journey. I have learned so much and as I continue to write full-time, I'm very much aware of the fact that I have never been happier or felt more satisfied by what I'm doing. But as time has gone on, I've also noticed a couple of things keep happening. The first is that people are so excited and so enthusiastic and inspired by my story, but they don't seem to believe that escaping the rat race to pursue something creative is something that they could do for themselves. When I meet people, I often hear them tell me that I'm very brave to have left my job or that they wish they could escape and write a book or make a film. But ultimately, they decide that it's too out there. It's it's too risky or hard and they don't want to leave the security of a nine to five job behind. Now, for a while, I was the only escapee that I knew. And even though my friends and family were very, very supportive of what I was doing, knowing that they might not be quite so experimental with their own lives did sometimes leave me wondering whether I was crazy and whether I was actually making a terrible, terrible mistake. But as I continued along, I I started to meet more people and I discovered that I really wasn't alone at all. There are so many people who have made the decision to leave the rat race behind and to date, I haven't met anyone who regrets making that decision. So it struck me that there's potentially a whole army of people out there who want to pursue creative ambitions, but perhaps lack the confidence to actually do it because of this underlying belief that it's not something that people like them do. And that's really where the idea for Escape Artists was born. Every fortnight, I'm going to be interviewing incredibly talented guests from across the creative industry who have either escaped or completely bypassed the rat race in order to follow their dreams. And I hope that by sharing these stories, not only will you discover new talent, which is always very exciting, but also that you'll get an insight into what it's like in those particular professions. And that if it's something you're interested in, you'll feel inspired to pursue your own escape. I'm going to be talking to everyone from other writers to musicians, filmmakers, fashion designers. And for each show, you'll be able to find the episode show notes and links to all of the resources that we discuss over on my website, marishapink.com. So that's a little bit about what you can expect from Escape Artists. My first guest is the wonderfully talented London-based singer-songwriter Dillis. Now, I first met Dillis at university, but to be honest with you, she's been a very, very busy lady since then. She has supported Leo the Lion from the streets wild guests at the Old Vic Theatre's Celebrity Gala, which was hosted by none other than Academy Award-winning actor Kevin Spacey. And recently, she's also been performing live on a number of BBC radio shows, as well as on the new London Live television channel. This summer, she has shows in both Europe and the USA, where she will be showing festival bills with the likes of Joss Stone and the Jacksons. And with all that going on, it's really a wonder that she had the time to talk to me. But here's what happened when I caught up with Dillis. 
So, hi Dillis, and welcome to the first episode of Escape Artists. We're very excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. Um, I'm obviously really familiar with your work. I know you from university, but for people who haven't yet heard any of your music, you can tell us a little bit what you're about. Basically, I'm a singer-songwriter. I released an album last year, we just finished recording it last year, and hoping to follow up with an EP this year. And we've been gigging around London, done a few shows across... Europe, getting across to New York in a couple of weeks, and yeah, spreading the word. All sounds incredibly exciting and very glamorous every time I speak to you, Um, but it wasn't always like that, was it? No, not at all. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what you were doing before you became a singer-songwriter extraordinaire? Okay, well I was, well I followed the path that everyone I know did, you know, went to university, then 90% of people did a law conversion course, and then like went to the city. (laughs) And um, I stud- worked at an emerging markets company, so we sold risk analysis to lots of Fortune 500 companies. Is that as exciting as it it's sounds? It's more exciting <laughs> than anything you've ever done. It's crazy. But, you know, it wasn't bad. I think at the time, I was kind of fresh out of the university. I was like, I'm going to look at me putting on my suit and like, going to a real adult job. And I kind of enjoyed it for a bit. And then it kind of gets that like Groundhog Day feeling. Yeah, then, I know that feeling. Yeah, and you're just like, is, is this it? Because like, this is what it's all been gearing up towards. And I just thought, nah, no, I need to like try something else. So I went travelling and I kind of had loads of time to just think about what actually made me happy. Came back and started dabbling in music and like trying to just see what I really wanted to do. And then ran out of money, <laughs> went back to the city a couple of days a week and tried the music at the same time. That was way too hectic. And then I just quit the city full stop. And then just concentrate on music full time. It's a pretty bold move, that. Yeah, it was scary. <laughs> I'm hearing hearing a very similar story to myself in yeah. terms of just running away from it all and, and using that time while you're away to, to figure out what Definitely. you what you want to do. I mean, how long how long have you known that this might be something that you yeah. wanted to do? I think ever since I was, like, months old, I've loved, loved, loved music. And my dad's a really good singer, actually, and he's always been on like, that side of the family I get it from. But, like, it's just, it was something that was never done, like, never really discussed. It was a hobby for anyone. Like, and even at school, my parents wouldn't even bother seeing, like, the music teacher. They wouldn't, <laughs> like, PA, like, those parents' evenings, they wouldn't see the game teacher. Even though, like, I tried for England for so many sports, they still didn't think it was, like, a thing. <laughs> but, like, the math teacher they'd go and see, the physics teacher, like, that's a real the thing. The important core yeah, subject. exactly. So it was just a bit fluffy to them. So I think I got to university and I was like, oh, I did bits and pieces of, like, talent competitions and stuff. It's always been, like, in me to do. But I just think I wasn't brave enough to to fulfil it at a really young age. So I think I needed to be where I was, to okay. be confident enough. Have a bit of life experience yeah. and kind of feel confident in your in De- yourself definitely. and your ability to pursue it. Completely. So, I mean, I love your, your music, mm. and um, I'm not going to be the first person to describe you as, mm. um, a, you know, she sounds absolutely like Tracy Chapman, mm. and it's just incredible, and from your original work to um, some of the covers that you've done, which yeah. was so unexpectedly brilliant. Mm. I you know, listened to a cover that you did of, um, of Linkin Park. Song, yeah, which I is love that song. Not something you, you know, it sounds a bit strange if you, you know, if you haven't listened to it, but yeah. it, it just works so well. Mm. For people who, um, you know, perhaps, you know, coming to music for the first mm. time, how would you describe it in your own words? It's kind of, I'd definitely say there's a mature element to it. Not kind of like, you know, saga mature, but kind of like there's a, 
like my lyrics are really precious to me so I kind of write about things that have affected me or I'll borrow from other people's stories like my friends and my family and it's kind of indie because there's guitars in there but there's like a lot of soul it's based in like soul because I think I, like my voice suits soul music but it's popular so okay. it's not like I'm not snobby about pop music being like rubbish music it's just accessible basically okay. and so you know who I guess you can't really liken yourself to anybody with yeah. with something that's such an eclectic mix of different mm. of different um genres how you know which artists inspired you when you were you were starting out yeah I've kind of I've never really gone from what's on the radio what's going at the time kind of I think the best music comes from me just like you just open your mouth and it comes out when someone's playing guitar it's it's very like internal so more childhood influences like my dad played loves loves music and he played so much Lionel Richie and like in those long car journeys and the cassette player <laughs> a and good old like, cassette player yeah, what, whatever exactly. happened to it completely <laughs> kids these days don't know their balls exactly. <laughs> But, um, yeah, he played, like, bits of country music. He loved Celine Dion. Like, then my sister and I would sing to Whitney Houston. Then my brothers were, like, rockheads. They would love the Nirvana and, like, the Linkin Park stuff. And I think that's where I always used to sing it from. Okay. So it's literally just kind of absorbing everything. And it comes out into, like, you. Yeah. <laughs> and are you are you the only one, would you say, that's kind of pursuing music as a, as a profession out yeah. of your family? Or do you think they've all got a little bit? I think they all definitely them. have a little bit of, like, the creative in them. My biggest brother, he's a doctor over in Australia, he's kind of dabbling at the moment. Okay. Like, bless him. <laughs> he's not the greatest, but he loves it. <laughs> but, like, he's still doing medicine full-time, so okay. he kind of, like, you know, on weekends he'll play, like, his local place. He's taught himself guitar and... Yeah, so I think we all have a little bit A little us. bit in you, yeah. okay. So, you know, you've got this fantastic talent mm. um, and... You decided you're going to make this change. How, you know, in in practical terms, how yeah. did you actually go about, you know, what's what's the process of, of writing or, or producing your music look like for you? Um, it's It takes a long time. I didn't get to the point where I felt comfortable writing my own songs for years because okay. it is a skill. And the first songs you write, you'll look back and be like, that's a horrendous piece of work. <laughs> like It's kind of like for you publishing the first poem you wrote when you were 11. Like yeah. it's kind of like at the time that's it's lovely. Great. <laughs> yeah. But with actual like education and learning about like the process. Yeah, it's not great. So um just kind of looking around, kind of seeing what makes a good song and seeing like learning from other people, hopefully working with lots of other people, you get to bounce off each other. And then once you feel strong enough that like you know like the certain set mould to writing a good song, then you just write as much as you can and then four percent of that will be worth doing something <laughs> 4%. with you should apparently throw away like one um you should keep one in ten songs okay. apparently so i mean how how many songs would you write in a, a day a week a month how much it depends on what else because now you're in the old days when like you were a musician and you just made music you could do it all day every day and then someone would pay your bills and someone would do everything else <laughs> so it's a case of us like we'll write music on the tube on the way to work or kind of just like at sound check in the time between your set you'll be trying to get some lyrics down so it's really fitting it in and that's probably the difference between people that are like supported financially and they've got the time to just write and write and write and then like there'll be a gem in there every yeah. couple of days or if you only write two songs a month it'll take a year before you find that gem okay so yeah it's 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 up to you how much you should literally try and turn up to the page even if you don't finish a song try and turn up the page every single day 
in my bits and pieces and see what comes. And so then if we are, you're doing a bit of that each day, I mean, what, what does a typical day look like for you? Because you've been on this crazy, crazy yeah. schedule of, you know, doing gigs and, and supporting people on tour and doing festivals, yeah. not just in the UK, but, you know, all around Europe. Yeah. You mentioned that you're going off to New York. Mm. What, I mean, do you have a typical day? That's the thing. Not really. But I'll try and get up and I'll try and like do some sort of exercise type thing because we, you know, it's like you can be inside writing and working all day. So yeah. you can kind of like see civilization for a bit. And then I'll, a lot of the time I spend on my laptop, either looking for opportunities, contacting people, because nothing comes to you at all. You have to be like out there asking people to listen to stuff. There is so much good music out there. You do need to just kind of knock on people's doors and... So that I'll spend like a good two hours or so in the morning, like replying stuff that's coming in the evening into the previous night. And and then I'll do two hours of vocal practice in the day. And then I'll work on my own songs that I've already recorded. So kind of like fine tuning them because you can always like do something more with the vocal performance. And then I'll write in the afternoon or I'll go to a producer's studio and we'll like write together. So I try and do that a couple of times a week. I'll sit down with, I've worked with three producers at the moment. Okay. And write with them. And then always, like, kind of write down your own ideas to take to them as well and then, like, bounce stuff back and forward. And the evening, if you have a gig, you have to normally get to soundcheck for, like, six or so. And then that's your evening. Or it could be, like, a couple of weeks ago when we um, had the whole band staying over here and then we flew to Romania <laughs> on the Thursday morning and got back on Saturday afternoon, and then I had a gig in the evening, so we, like, dropped our suitcases and then went to oh, that. Oh, gosh. Sounds, so, sounds crazy and manic. Yeah, but it's, like, when you're busy, you feel like, right, I'm, like, progressing, I'm doing something. Then you have the times when you're like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Someone answer my email. <laughs> I think everybody probably feels a little bit like that. Yeah. And I think, um, it, you know, they're not, you know, when it rains, it pours. Yeah. It's a, it's a really typical thing to happen when you work in creative suddenly everything just snowballs yeah um you know you have I mean you talked about your team that Mm. you work with so you've got the band and obviously you work with three producers how how did you meet them how have you come to work with them yeah well um the first producer I met um I did vocals on a rapper's song and then we went to the studio and they knew each other and then me and the producer were like, oh, we should try and do some stuff together. He's like, oh, I like your voice. Like, I like the stuff that you produce. And that just started. Now we're really good friends. We've just always been about two, three years now been writing together. The guy that I wrote my album with, um, I did backing vocals for someone else. And he produced her album. And she sang with the Shapeshifters and she's on People's Choice Awards. So she did okay. lots of good stuff. And we were just kind of sitting in the pub after on the gig saying, oh, we should like try and do some songs together. And now we get on really well. We've written like the whole okay. album together. So it's really through kind of getting in, not like at a base level, but just kind of earning your stripes slightly, like working with other people and just kind of in, like networking in, in that sense. There's also websites that producers are looking for people to produce. Okay. So there are things like there's lots of Star Now and music jobs and things which are like LinkedIn for musicians. Okay. Well, we'll put a link to those for yeah, um, no, anybody definitely. who's interested in, yeah. in kind of having a look at what opportunities might be around. Yeah. Um, you're obviously you started from nothing, really, yeah. and as yeah. you said, you've got to earn your stripes, and and people within the industry, I guess, will start to to hear of you Hopefully. as you start to work with more people. Mm. How did you go about getting the word out to uh, you know to the audience yeah. and, and to to kind of develop a fan base? This is what we're still working on every <laughs> single day. 
But um, I think the old school method of getting in front of people, the thing like you can listen to music online, be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. But if you go to it, everyone knows like someone you've seen at a festival, you've never heard, you're like, oh, I remember it because you remember the experience. Yeah. And the music was just a little bit of that. So I think getting in front of people and just kind of converting them to like your side, <laughs> like to be a fan. I think that works really well. And, like, the most amount of people that will buy albums are people that have seen us live. Okay. I think, I think there's whole that, that connection of singing in front of people. Um, you've got to use the social media. Like, there's no way around it. Like, I think anyone in this day and age can still just perform live without having anything recorded online or anything. So, yeah, I'm on Twitter every day. I'm on Facebook every day. I'm do, doing... you, do you... First of all, do you find that takes up a lot of your time? Because I know, for me, mm. I spend quite a lot of time on that aspect of things and I'm not sure whether it's because I'm just a bit more comfortable there yeah. but I do find that you can if you if you let it that can yeah, kind of take over everything definitely. and I'm not sure I mean there, there is certainly reward and networking mm. talking to people particularly people that have found your work is yeah. always really really satisfying mm. but you know is there a danger that you can kind of expend all your time completely. there and it detracts from what you're actually doing completely and it's kind of like a safe thing to do you feel like you're working really hard and you're kind of on <laughs> social media like, there are lots of more boring, more important things to be doing. So I think, like, if you're tweeting all the time, if you've done your 140 characters, like, oh, I've done some promotion. <laughs> but, yeah, but then everyone's doing it. And it's a very kind of fly-by-night type thing. Like, by the time someone's feed refreshes, that's gone. Yeah. So you need to be doing more concrete things. But you still, yeah, I think if you can do it on the go, that type of thing. Yeah. Like, that's just part of weaving it into your timetable. Okay. And it was, in fact, a very cheeky little tweet that you sent yeah. that landed you a gig. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, um, I'm always stalking people generally <laughs> online. <laughs> and I realised that um, Leo, for this lead singer from the streets, he had a gig coming up at the O2 Academy in um, Islington. And I was just like, oh, it'd be really good to like support him. I mean, I've always loved his stuff. And I was like, oh, hello, would you fancy a Dillis Shape support artist for him? <laughs> your gig? And he listened to stuff and he was like, well, I don't see why not. Fabulous. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you said yes. <laughs> and then like he sent me, I'd sent stuff with management and his people and all that type of thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, they just said, yeah. And it was just the craziest thing. But he's one of the nicest people you'll ever, ever meet. Yeah. And, yeah, no big head or anything. He's just organised everything with us. And it was a great night. It was really fun. It was a great after party. And it's nice for the band to do, like, something slightly higher profile than, yeah. like, the dog and spoon at six o'clock on a Tuesday. <laughs> hey, no, we don't. Not the dog and spoon That's or true. whatever it may be. There's, yeah. You know, there's going to be one of those those venues that, you know, when you're plastered all over the telly, yeah. they come back, she was here first yeah. before she made it there. That's what we're hoping for. Um, speaking of, you know, kind of blowing up and, and mm. telly and those things, what, I mean, you've taken the route that you've taken. It's yeah. been quite independent. Mm. You, you you don't have any representation at the moment. No. Is that something that you are hoping to get? Are you, do you want to carry on going it alone? Yeah, no, ideally, I would love someone to do all of the kind of non-music <laughs> stuff. Okay. For me to just write and record and sing and perform every day. But, like, I don't know if it's because I'm quite a nerd, but I do like being in charge of my own kind of all the gigs and stuff, I send the band Excel spreadsheets are all colour-coded and they're like, you need to chill. Yeah, exactly. Get that. <laughs> like, I have, like, you can't see this one, nice wall chart there with stickers and stuff that I, can, that I need to be doing. So I'm not adverse to it. I'm not one of the people that really hates the whole, like, emailing people because, like, in the city, that's what we did every day. Yeah. On the phone, emailing, meeting people. So it's not 
that different, but just number of hours in the day, I could make so much more music if I had someone to, to handle that. So yeah, management is really hard to find nowadays. Like that will not come until you've shown that you're a really lucrative product. Okay. So for them, which is it's an investment at the end of the day, but like nowadays there's not as much cash flowing around that they used to have. So you have to work that a little bit harder before you get to the steps where management come in. And what are your, I mean, certainly from a, a consumer perspective, mm. we see these television programmes, so, you know, yeah. The Voice and X Factor, there's a groan already. <laughs> <laughs> X Factor, The Voice, you know, people are going on, you know, Britain's Got Talent because there's yeah. probably less musical talent there, yeah. you know, there's a few less people to compete with. Have you ever thought about going down that route? What What are your thoughts about that as a mm. as a way to get into the industry? Yeah. If I had a pound for every time someone said, "Like, oh, you should go on X Factor," <laughs> like we'd be doing this interview on a yacht or something. Like, keep asking. Yeah, that. Exactly. I'd, I'd like to do my interviews on a yacht. <laughs> yeah, amazing, but it's just it's not real life. Like people forget it's a reality TV program. It's like me going to a lawyer. Like, oh, you should be on Ally McBeal. <laughs> like, well, you know that's not a real thing. But like, people just see TV and take yeah. it as red. But like, it's just it's great entertainment. Like when it first started, we all loved it. But it's it's not for real musicians. I don't think there've been a few that have done very very well. I won't knock that. But it's just so manipulated. And my boyfriend actually knows a sound engineer from X Factor, and okay. he can detune. Um, people when it's their week to go out because it's pre-planned and he can tune people up when they're meant to stay you heard it here first yeah exactly <laughs> and also the management companies that all these people that get knocked out go to obviously they need to plan they know who they're getting three weeks before the live show yeah so how does that happen all of it's suspect it's a really, very well-oiled it? machine <laughs> So, yeah, it's just, if you want to go down that road, road, that's fine. But it's also, you have to sign away your life, basically. And they can do with you what what they will. It's a commercial entity. Yeah, exactly. And, like, who do you actually remember from them? Apart from, like, the One Directions and people. A lot of people that's, like... Fade into obscurity. I mean, there's there's actually been a little bit of a trend where it's the people that win are the ones that get forgotten yeah. it's always the runners up that have done quite well so exactly. you know people remember you know the JLS's didn't win yeah. One Direction didn't, didn't win, win. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Oli Murs won but he's still talking about no but... I don't think he did yeah. win yeah, so exactly. you know it's it's not I guess for some people it, it might be a platform yeah. even if you if you don't get there but I guess it's not it's not a hard and fast yeah, exactly. guaranteed route completely I saw as um, we do wedding functions and things now trying to make some more money and i think steve something that won like seven years ago whose name you can clearly remember yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he was playing for like 70 pounds a night in essex i was like but you had a number one single yeah and now you're back to like i don't know there's no aftercare it seems yeah. after winning it's just you know chew up and spit you out type thing i think a lot of you know uh of the areas of the creative industry mm. are like that it's yeah. very cutthroat it really um, is. you know people's memories are quite short yeah um you know they're always looking for the next biggest better thing yeah um and probably no more is that apparent than in, yeah. in music mm. um what do you think about some of the the other kind of ways of getting your music out so your album find me an angel yeah um it's currently available on the website and on facebook you can buy it from a little store on there and i'm hoping to release it properly Kind of with like an iTunes, well basically iTunes is like where everything goes. But um, at the moment where 
people only search me once they've heard me kind of I didn't see the point of going through a large distributor who will take quite a high percentage of that when if you're searching for me you'll come to the website and just buy it off there yeah <laughs> I kind of think well when I'm still trying to like plow money back into myself I need to maximize that revenue as much as possible and I don't know I think there's an authenticity to buying things face to face after a gig because when lots of people kind of feel like I want to take a little bit of this evening home yeah. But um, so that's probably the I find the best way is actually going out and performing in front of people. But getting your music out there, otherwise you've got your SoundClouds and you've got your favorite band page player. There's so many of them. I'd say have like one or two maximum. Okay. Like there's no need to dilute all of your listens and plays over like 19 platforms. And then yeah, at the end of the day, you do need to get it on iTunes because that people like what people like. When people say oh, I like some music, they go on to. Okay. I store, so you need to be where people search for music. But I think at the beginning, I'm fine with being kind of more like, oh, it's an exclusive of people that have come to find it, and then hopefully do a launch after the festival season, after hopefully a few more people have like seen us and heard us. Okay, I choose. And how, I mean, those kind of platforms now, they, I mean, they started, they started with big name stars and they talked to, you know, the big record labels yeah. and got all the big artists on there because that's how they, they build up their, mm. their user base. How easy is that process for you as an independent artist to get your material onto those platforms? That's one thing that the internet is good for. Like, absolutely anyone can release absolutely anything on iTunes. Like, there's no gatekeeper. There's no... And that also means there's no quality control. <laughs> so you can actually, you can record anything and just put it on and sell it for like 99 cents or something. So there's um, lots of different distributors you can go through in this country. I think there's CD Baby is the one that I use. And there's lots of, I can feel free to give you all the, the names of the ones you can use. And then they go through to iTunes, then automatically they can be on Amazon and Spotify and okay. that type of thing. So they're all affiliated with each other. Uh, to my knowledge, you can't go straight to Spotify without having a distributor. Okay. Be, that distributor doesn't have to distribute to iTunes. So, so yeah. it sounds quite similar to the, the publishing model in terms yeah. of, like, you know, I have one distributor that sends to um, Kobo and iBooks and mm. all of those things for me. Um, and we recently, um, that same distributor's opened up to um, Scribed and Oyster and a few other subscription-based yeah. things. And you've mentioned Spotify. Mm. In terms of how you know how you're rewarded I guess for having mm. your your material on there you talked about selling direct and, and keeping as much as you yeah. can for yourself yeah. what how do you feel about subscription models like Spotify I think it's one of those things if people actually listen to it and then buy a concert ticket which costs like 25 pounds then it's a worthwhile investment but I think nowadays people just listen to it like kind of in the background and there's no it doesn't convert to anything for the artist and you're not paid anything for Spotify. I, don't, I know they can quote you're paid like 0.00 something, <laughs> mate, but by the time you get that check, <laughs> it just yeah. doesn't make any sense. So it's tough now because people don't buy music and they mm. don't pay for music anymore. So it's very hard to sustain yourself if your end products is really devalued to like 0.0001p, yeah. even though the cost of producing that is thousands of pounds. Yeah. So I'm not a fan of streaming services, but I know that that's like that's the way yeah, it's going. Exactly. Just kind of roll with it. Yeah. Um, so nothing. You're not going to convince people to stop. So. Yeah. I think so. For you, would you say we? You know, we've touched a little bit on it, and I think anybody mm. um, who who does do something similar to what you and I do yeah. will have that you know serious chat with themselves at mm. some point about the poverty factor. Yeah. No. It's <laughs> and true. about you know really you know how do you how do you. <laughs>
keeping the keeping the, the penny jar topped yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I will say in London to play your original music, you will not get paid. You do not get a penny for this unless you are. You get a very odd. Well, we do odd gigs where it'll be outside of London, and we'll do some covers mixed in with it, and it'll be kind of like an evening of music. To play your own music in London in the standard scene, it's got to the point where you, yeah, you won't get paid. Even if you bring people that pay to come in, you won't get paid any money at all. Like, right. there's a monopoly of promoters at the moment, which, like, every artist has their little flare-up about. Like, oh, <laughs> so, and I think that's one thing that does grind people down. Like, do not expect to make money from your music. I'd say, like, maybe five, six years after you've started it. Which is a, a really long time. A really long time. So you need to get in with other disposable income because even like rehearsal rooms you need to pay for when you've got the whole band and like produce, even producing the CDs and all the processes it, they cost a lot of money so I was lucky that when I worked in City I banked like a lot of my money and I lived with my parents for a while so I could come into it with some capital because it is a business at the end of the day you can't just start a business on nothing and be yeah. like oh I hope everyone hands me stuff <laughs> but we can hope yeah exactly <laughs> So you really do need to have, and I work, I just do other normal jobs for money, lots of promotional stuff that fits around gigs and like having to be away for a couple of days and yeah, it's a real juggling act. Okay. But you seem to be managing it, which is, which is the really exciting thing. So if we now think of a little bit about people who might be watching who, Mm. um, or listening, who want to follow in your footsteps as it were, what sort of advice would you give them? um definitely don't like quit what you're doing just yet like you should do as much research as you can on the field you're trying to get into like I only know about music so kind of spending all your free time looking into what you'll need to do what you want to do like of course get into some sort of training thing like when I went to city I went to music school on the weekends and then I went to lots of different music schools to kind of see who was around and making those contacts so you have something to jump off and then quit what you're doing only when you don't have time to do what you love as much so it's kind of when you it's a tipping point yeah exactly when you think you've got enough to grip onto that like your work is getting in the way then you can stop but if you're kind of umming and ahhing about oh this evening I don't really want to do music tonight like imagine that being your life yeah so you have to really, really want to do it with all your heart all the time. And if you don't, then that's fine. That's just your proxy of how much you want to do it. It's the things you'll give up as well as the things that you'll do. Yeah. So, yeah, think long and hard, but then go for it if you really, if it's all you can think about. Okay. And and what would you say is the worst part about what you do? Or the worst, the worst thing? Yeah, the worst thing is not getting paid for the stuff. <laughs> I think everybody does like yeah, no matter what they're doing. Exactly. Um, I understand it's all part of it. So I think a lot of it's hard when you're playing to like empty rooms sometimes, that will happen. And then the next day you'll play to loads of people that will love it, so you get the validation back. So it's kind of the peaks and the trough. The lows are probably lower than when you have like a steady city job. But the highs are just like incredibly high so so what's been what's been your favorite moment in your career so far the highest one of them would be the first time we did um bbc radio when we came off and i was just kind of just just a complete (laughs) jittery mess and it went really well we played really well and the guy really liked us like the um, presenter i kind of felt like it's thursday evening 
like what's everyone else doing and I've just come off live radio and I just felt so like proud of myself yeah like and no one did this for me I think stuff like that and kind of even when we were playing in Romania like a room full of people probably didn't even understand what I was singing about <laughs> I still really loved it I was like oh this is like this is yeah there's so many masters like when you play the festivals for people like a big stage I know it's very egotistical but like singing away to loads of people is such an incredible feeling even when you do the small gigs and like you do a really intimate song and like you see people crying and it's just like I did that yeah like, it's really connection with yeah, your audience is really kind of rewarding is. and validating it's beautiful when people come up to be like oh, I really appreciate that song it reminded me of this and this and this and it's just yeah that's really Make, makes it all worthwhile completely completely yeah all right so as you said, your your album "Find Me an Angel" uh, is available to buy directly yes, from your website, dillismusic.com. Dillismusic.com. You heard it here first. Um, where else can people get a hold of you? Um, well, I've got stuff up on SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com forward slash dillis, and Facebook, Dillis Music. Um, of course, the website. You can sign up to the um, newsletter. I send out every month, and there's free music giveaways and prizes and festival tickets for festivals that we're playing at and all that type of thing and giveaway on there which I think is quite a nice like, reward for anyone that signed up at a gig which is also keep in contact um Twitter we've got all the normal platforms okay. yeah. we'll put all the links up for everybody yeah. to uh, to come and find you afterwards um I think we're done for today so thank Aww. you very much for having a chat with us yeah, it's been for coming um, around. amazingly <laughs> insightful yeah. um this was the very first episode of Escape Artists and the next episode will be back in a fortnight where I will be having a little chinwag with award-winning documentary film producer Laura Chacon. Um, make sure that you don't miss it. Uh, you can head over to my website which is mauritiapink.com and there's a little sign-up form there for my email newsletter so you'll get notified and Dennis has very kindly agreed to give away to um, new people that sign up. We've got 10 copies of her single, single yeah. lost boy um available so make sure you sign up in the next fortnight and uh, and then i'll announce the winners on my website um if you're watching on youtube make sure you hit the subscribe button and then you'll get notified as well and um, for any more information about escape artists head over to mauritiapink.com or find me on twitter at mauritiapink mm-hmm.